Hello and welcome to the new episode of Running with Red S. Today I'll be speaking with an endurance cyclist called Jackson Long. He is a performance nutritionist and coach specializing in mountain endurance sports and plant-based eating to fuel the flow of meaningful movement. Some of you might have seen that on Project Red S on Instagram, they actually posted about him quite recently. Um, I was reading more about his Instagram and quite when he first took over this account, he basically said he's making the account to address how important food um, and recovery is for endurance athletes. So I'm quite looking forward to having a chat with him about all of it and just understanding how he copes with the energy demands if he ever gets tired before um, a certain event, before a training session. And yeah, I think it's going to be quite an interesting conversation. I've never met him in person, but I've reached out to him because I think he could be a massive influence to a lot of people out there. And hopefully a lot of people will enjoy it. But before I do talk to him, I'm just going to go through what I've been recently up to um, the last few weeks. So many of you may have seen on my Instagram, I said I had five weeks completely off. I spoke to a nutritionist, a psychologist, a doctor. So my teams got bigger and bigger and they have helped me exceptionally. They have made sure I'm on the right tracks. My bloods have increased significantly and it just shows how much of a bad state my body was in last year. I was like reflecting on those bloods from last year. It was, it was dismal. Like I can't believe my body was able to run the time it did train the way it did. And I'm quite fortunate I didn't actually get injured as many times as I have. So yeah, that was quite worrying. But now because it's increasing, that's why the last five weeks has been absolutely incredible. And I started training on Monday. So this week was just, it's just four days of 30 minutes of cross training. So I've just been like putting in a few efforts. It's quite funny because I'm quite unfit. So Mahari goes sky, like goes straight up very quickly. And on three of the days, I'm also doing um core and strength work. So it's just doing very light weights because I haven't really done anything just to see how my body reacts to it. Fortunately, my back hasn't hurt or anything like that after the sessions. And it's really nice just to get like a back, bit of a sweat on. Um, I trained on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I had off because I was in London. I had to go see some psychologists in Oxford on the Thursday. So there was no point training as I'd be doing quite a lot of walking. Um, I trained on the Friday and then Saturday, another day off before another training session tomorrow on Sunday. Um, I'm really enjoying getting back into it. Uh, it's quite it's quite weird, only 30 minutes. Like the first few times it felt really long because I hadn't done really much for five weeks. But now I'm like, I'm eager to go. I just want to get back out there. And from next week, it's like five or six days of um, training, which will be nice. So I'm getting back into the normal pattern that I was pre-injury. And yeah, it's, I'm speaking to my coach and everyone like that most days just to ensure that I'm on the right track. Um, in terms of my nutrition, I've now followed a very suitable plan for me that um, entails that I have to eat every two, three hours. I have to have like a um, breakfast, lunch, mid-afternoon mid snack, dinner, desserts, so a lot more milk as my calcium and vitamin D levels for my bloods were extremely low. So with that in mind, I'm really concentrating on my health. And I know for a fact, if I get through this um, well, I'll be even an even better runner. So I'll be able to recover quicker. I'll be able to run fast times be able to hit quicker speeds in training. So I'm really, really excited for that. And the fact I'm now starting training is very encouraging. I also have um, 
I booked in an MRI scan in about less than three weeks time. And from there, we'll see how, when I can come back to running. So by then it'll be eight weeks. And because I've actually, I believe I've recovered quite well, my bloods have increased significantly. It means my body is probably repairing itself at a much quicker rate than before when I had my foot injury. So that's very good to see. And if that is the case, hopefully I'll be able to start running quite soon. Um, but again, if I do start running, it has to be very, very slow because I'm not aiming for any races as of yet, as I don't, as that's the most important thing is just get my body healthy. So like I meant before, mentioned before, what I'm hoping to achieve is just get my body into a healthy state. So for example, when I had that foot injury, I literally had a week off and then did 10 weeks of over 20 hours of cross training. And I had like a repeat MRI and basically the bone had healed slightly, but not significantly, which meant I had to wait another three, four weeks in order for my to be able to run. So that was quite delayed. Whereas this time I was like, okay, I'm not, I don't want this to happen again. I'm not here to be a cross train, be exceptional on the cross train or anything. It doesn't matter. I'm here to be a runner. And in order for me to get back up running, I need to be in the fittest state, the healthiest state I can possibly be in. And I want to start it sooner because that's what I love to do. And you've seen the weather recently, like it's really warm. It's really, it's actually quite sun, sunny as well. So that's what I want to do. I want to get out back out there, seeing everyone abroad, training in Portugal, training in Font. It's just motivating me even more, inspiring me to get back out there. So trying to put my body first, even though some days are a lot harder than others. Like for example, today, because I'm not training, but I'm really eager to. I went down and watched my girlfriend and her brother what do a session and they were absolutely flying, which was again motivates me. But I was like, oh, I just want to be out there, but hopefully not long to go. And another thing I want to talk about is coaching. So five weeks ago, when I found out I was injured, I took a few days and was like quite quite sad and everything. And I thought to myself, okay, let's pick yourself back up. Let's do something good for others. So because I went back home and I'm part of the Axe Valley Running Club, um, I thought, let's put my expertise, which I do every day, run, um, to help others. So I said on a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'll take some athletes, I'll meet them on Espinard. And now I'm getting like 20, 30 athletes every session coming up to me doing sessions. And it's quite funny because I have all different ages, but hardly them have ever done speed sessions before. So they were asking me like, oh, why do we do this? Um, what's the positive aspects you can take from them and it was very encouraging to see because whatever weather like it's been absolutely horrendous it's been torrential rain extremely windy but they all show up which just again motivates me anymore but it just shows how much I love the sport and how much these people are eager to do something um so I've been helping them and it was quite nice to see a lot of my, the athletes I'm helping are actually running quite big pbs recently a lot of them are training for London Marathon so hopefully I'll go up and watch it and just just be the supporter because normally I'm the one racing and I have a lot of support. Whereas this time around, because I'm injured, I want to be act as a sport. I want to go to these races and cheer people on. Whereas a lot of the time I don't actually, well, I can't really do that because of my training or racing. So just thinking about that and helping others is just really, really nice. And yeah, so I'm really in a good place at the minute and I'm really looking forward to the next few weeks it's quite funny because because like I said I'm starting quite an unfit stage so every day I'm just getting fitter and fitter but I have found the three elliptical sessions I've done I'm going up to levels which I would have done previously but not but they're feeling easy which shows my body's stronger so from this break my body's actually 
got the benefits from all the training previously. And because I put on a bit of weight, well, I haven't weighed myself because I'm never going to weigh myself again. I think it affects me mentally, but I look healthy and everything. And the fact I feel stronger, I'm able to distribute more watts quite easily without even pushing too hard. So that's really encouraging to see. And I think the next few weeks is going to be absolutely phenomenal. I think my increase in fitness will go through the roof and I just can't wait to be back running. And this is what I'm doing. This is my life. And yeah, so I hope you really enjoy this interview. I'm looking forward to speaking to him. And from there, we'll see if he can influence me anymore, if he has any advice with like in terms of what food I should be eating, because like I said, he's an endurance athlete. So it's going to be a really good talk. Thank you. All right. So this is the second part of this new episode. And well, thank you for coming along, um, Jackson. Can you just explain who you are and what you do? Yeah. So my name is Jackson Long. Uh, I am a sports nutritionist and coach and I live in the U.S. in a small ski town in Idaho, which is sort of in the west, uh, mountain west of the U.S., and we've been having a crazy winter, and it still feels like winter. There's just so much snow looking outside right now. Um, but yeah, no, I uh, kind of grew up uh, primarily bike racing was uh, my main sport as a kid, uh, road racing from like the age of 12, and then uh, went to college, university to race bikes and was trying to make it as a professional. And, um, and then eventually sort of, as we'll probably talk about, went through some struggles and just kind of figuring out my own nutrition and fueling and, uh, relationship to sport and food and all of that. And then have sort of transitioned now in the last, you know, five or so years into coaching and consulting with with athletes, uh, primarily kind of like mountain endurance athletes on nutrition and training and, and kind of through like the plant-based lens as I've been uh, following a plant-based, you know, vegan diet for the past nearly 10 years at this point, like eight, eight or nine years. Oh, it's, well, it's really nice to have you on because I was like saying to someone before, it's quite with this podcast, I kind of, I don't want to just primarily base it on runners because essentially red s a lot of different athletes suffer from it so you have some triathletes i imagine a lot of people from a variety of different sports have messaged you for help and um since i came out and said about struggling with red s like i've had triathletes messaging me cyclists is quite it's really pro pro prominent in cycling because i guess look at all the training how they fuel themselves can be incredibly hard and have you almost found that working with other people they were like really under fueling yeah, it's like the number one, the number one thing that that happens when, you know, especially when when kind of really driven endurance athletes are seeking, you know, some sort of guidance and help, whether it's training or of course nutrition. But um there's, you know, as I'm sure you've seen, just such a, a deep ingrained cultural norm to sort of underfuel, whether it's consciously or, or unconsciously. And I think just having someone else, you know, like myself kind of look into what they're doing and, and kind of talk to them about it, it really becomes apparent how much they, a lot of athletes are, are actually under fueling without even recognizing it across sports uh, and across different types of, of eating patterns and styles, you know, and it's just, um, and that's the thing about Red S is it's like, you know, I think a lot of the conversation, you know, rightly so is about the sort of 
obsessive, you know, cultural, you know, negatives around disordered eating and and underfueling and and that. But a lot of times it's it's completely unintentional. And uh, you know, with with cyclists, like you mentioned, because it's such a low impact sport compared to say running, you can just put down so much training volume all over the you know the year essentially, and and just it becomes really difficult to consume enough food, especially if you're someone following a plant-based diet, like, which is like a lot of the clients that I work with just because that's my, my expertise. And so, um, it just becomes that much more difficult to, to fuel properly. Yeah. So have you like speaking about that, have you always been a vegan? No, I, I sort so it's a pretty interesting kind of story is a kind of a, around the time. And, uh, when I was racing at the highest level, when I was in, in university, I was taking a, a semester off of school to kind of train and race full time and try to make it as a professional. And um, that was when I was sort of slipping into uh, disordered eating and just, uh, you know, preoccupation with weight and all of, you know, that kind of side stuff around sport and performance. And it wasn't until I sort of kind of fell off the edge in terms of my performance and health and 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 things like that, that I sort of recognized how important nutrition, you know, proper nutrition was. And that was when I sort of recognized that what I was doing was completely off. And so I wanted to totally change everything and overhaul my, my diet. And so, um, through just like kind of a random series of events and coincidences, I sort of stumbled upon a plant-based diet, like a vegan, you know, lifestyle. And at, you know, at the time I was definitely not vegan. I was eating, uh, kind of low carb, a lot of like animal protein, you know, the kind of classic thing. And so when I sort of started doing some research into nutrition, just on my own, I, I kind of found this way of like eating as a, as a way of, you know, sort of like as messed up as it sounds, allowing myself to have more carbs and, and be more, you know, balanced in terms of my eating. Um, and then of course, through that that time I, I sort of went down the rabbit hole of like animal ethics and the environment and the impact that our food choices have on all of that and our, like, and just overall longevity and health. And so it's just like, all of a sudden it just is like clicking for me and just all the dots were connected. And I was like, this is, this is what is going to work for me. And so, um, and it really did. And, and that, that, that kind of like led me down the path of wanting to study nutrition and be uh, a resource for for other athletes kind of in a similar boat i really like the uh, the fact you just said like it really works for me because you almost tested it and found that it works for you because essentially like whatever you told someone if that like for example if you said to me oh just eat take it some carbs out just eat protein if that didn't work for me i wouldn't like it whereas if you almost have to follow um what's best for you and it's great you have found something that works for you and i imagine do you feel stronger in your sport are you feeling like better mentally because i noticed when i was under fueling my mental side was shocking like i didn't mean to be horrible to my parents or my friends and stuff but you just you're just always looking for food it's like the number one you're thinking about did you ever experiencing that and has it got better yeah for sure i mean when i was in that time of my life training, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week and trying to race, you know, every weekend and, uh, just taking time off of school. I was just like, so focused and obsessed with training and racing that, um, you know, it, it did become such a preoccupation food and did. And like, and just, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty like bleak time of my life, you know, thinking back then is like, I had no sex drive. I was just like depressed, just focused on training and like, 
basically basing my entire identity and like value and and sort of worth around my performance, my numbers up certain climbs or, you know, places in the races. And and then food was a big part of that because it was like an outlet. And but at the same time, it was this thing that was I was also so afraid of and like so fearful around of like counting calories and and obsessing. Was, oh, am I having too much, you know, too many calories today because it's a rest day? What do I have to eat? Maybe I just shouldn't eat things like that, you know, which is uh, very common. And, and I think once I, you know, obviously it's, it's hard to make a complete like comparison because when I was sort of switching to the plant-based diet, I was actually eating enough calories probably to like actually fuel myself. And so that of course is going to make you feel better, but yeah, I just immediately started feeling better and was um, just way more connected with myself and with my food and just was, you know, kind of it took me a while to come out of that, but, you know, since that time I've, I've felt so much stronger as an athlete and I've also branched out into many other different sports to the point where I just, I don't even really identify as a cyclist in the same way that I did back then. It was like, I'm just this athlete, you know, I'm just this human that likes to move in the mountains, whether it's running or skiing or cycling or, you know, mountain biking, whatever. Uh, and that I think was so empowering. And so, eye-opening for me that it you know you could just feel way more robust and durable and balanced and and just like positive uh around sport that um once I sort of let go of that obsession with performance and and I mean I still love racing I still love competing um and you know I, I've had some pretty good results but it's more for me about uh, just the overall relationship to food and myself and sport and all of that maybe that one day we'll make a race where it's like not a triathlon, but you do skiing, running, cycling. So if someone yeah. could happily make that event, it would be very hard. The transitions would be quite tough, but yeah. <laughs> maybe that's next thing forward. But that's amazing to hear. And I think you've, are you like you said, you're a coach now. So are you using your own experiences to help other people, would you say? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I see myself in a lot of, you know, the athletes that I've coached and I've coached a lot of junior athletes. And, and you know, I, my hope is that I've, been able to impart some wisdom onto them because, uh, you know, I was there, you were there, we've all been there as athletes at, at that young age where you are so focused on, you know, a certain thing and you really hold a lot of weight and power into the number that is on the result sheet or the time that you're putting up or, or you know, all these things that, you know, do, do matter. Yes, but we have to gain the confidence and the maturity to not let those things own us because, that's a slippery slope into doing whatever it takes to try to get that done, whether it's, you know, under fueling or, you know, just being really egotistical and, and kind of cutting everyone out and all of these things. And so I think with, you know, my perspective and philosophy around coaching is really about, you know, helping athletes sort of see that bigger picture and, and try to recognize and, and, and teach them and show them that, look, you don't have to be obsessive about this in order to reach your potential and meet your maximum performance. It's like sometimes, you know, the, the harder we grip onto the rope, you know, the harder it is to climb up versus if you just have a more relaxed grip and you're just a little bit more, you know, uh, just sort of going with the flow, you actually can feel better and have a better performance. And, and I think we've all seen that in so many different areas. And especially now, in kind of our modern times in modern sport, just the, the, you know, mental health is such a big piece of all of this. And it's, and it's just, I think it's so apparent how, how much it impacts athletes. And 
especially when it comes to food. And, and I see it a lot, just how, um, even still so many young athletes are still so, um, trapped by their mind around food. So you were saying about numbers because you, like you said, at university, you were very good at cycling and everything. Were those numbers anything to do with power to weight ratio? So like were coaches saying you have to hit this certain power, like FTP test, did you do a lot of them? And did you ever think if you got lighter, you would have a better score? Yeah, totally. I mean, that was like my entire focus. Yeah. I mean, I, that was like, you know, there was definitely some coaches and, and, you know, teammates and friends and, you know, people that you're training with that, that, you know, hold so much weight, you know, pun intended to that, where it's like, there's just that obsession with the numerator of that equation, right? It's like the, the power or the, the weight, you know, is, or the power numbers on the top, the weight is on the bottom. So everyone just focuses so much on that bottom number when, in fact, like the, the real, the, the, the more important thing that you should really be focusing on is, is developing your power. And, um, and so, but I think we, a lot of us got so caught up in obsessing over, over the, the weight piece of that equation. Uh, um, and also really just tr- like, cause I think, you know, we hear these things about FTP testing and power to weight ratios and all of these things. And, you know, an FTP test is like 20 to 30 minutes, just flat out when you're fresh, Horrible. you know, it's terrible, but it's such a short time. And when, you know, even though I was like, so focused on trying to improve that, and I was putting up good numbers in that, um, I would get into a five hour road race and just get dropped in the first half. And so then I couldn't even use that, that, that threshold power because I was just off the back and just like, well, this isn't going to work. So I think what people don't recognize is that you could have the greatest FTP in the, in the world, but unless you're durable and have the resilience to be able to hang in the pack for four or five hours until the the split, the key moment of the race happens, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, no one really cares about Strava segments or times mm-hmm. up the climb when you're trying to race because that's, you know, Strava doesn't equal race performance. So I think it was like this interesting time where there was so much focus on that because it is something that you can measure. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the, like stepping on the scale, you know, you're, you're measuring, you're weighing yourself every day, sometimes twice a day, whatever. But then it wasn't actually equating to actual performance. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, I, I love Strava and like, um, it's annoying now because you said like the Strava segments, but it's, I promise now, like three every week, I get an email saying someone's taking your second. Yeah. I haven't run since August. I'm like, this is so annoying. So, but that's 100% right. Like what I found when I was doing a lot of cross training, yes, a lot of people would say, I would say, oh, I hit these what? And they say, do the FTP test. But exactly what you said. I said to them, if I went out and raced them, I would get absolutely demolished by them all because they're so much stronger than me. Like you said, durable, they would be able to do it. I might, the only thing I might be able to beat them on is a climb, but for a bit, for say for a short period of time, get away or something. But in terms of, I just don't think I would last the whole race because my body was just at such a low point. Did you ever, have you, I basically hit like rock bottom five weeks ago where I was, had an MRI, found out from the doctor, it was my, I had a sacrum stress fracture. I basically found found out more about what Red S was from Pippa Wolven. And it wasn't nice because I was in the middle of like in Manchester, five, six hours away from home. I had to take the trains. 
got given a crutch. Did you ever have a like a feeling of hitting rock bottom and then want to improve from there? Was it like a turning point? Yeah, I mean, we have a very similar experience, actually, when I, you know, I had that experience when I was racing in college, and I took that semester off. Um, and I was like, severely underweight, and basically like ruined an entire season. I, this was like in this in the winter. So I was training down in Arizona um, to get the nice weather. I was, you know, living in, and studying in, in Boulder, Colorado at the time. Um, and so during that time when I was like at the peak of my, you know, disordered eating, however you want to call it, um, I was hitting pretty good numbers and I was training a lot and I was like, you know, I wasn't feeling good, but I was like training well, if that makes sense. I know that that's hard to kind of like explain, but as an athlete, you know, at that level, it's, it's sort of what happens. And, um, so I ended up getting like super sick. I was DNFing all of the early, you know, season races, just having terrible experiences, came back, uh, got some tests and had like walking pneumonia and was like anemic and all of this stuff, low B12, um, basically just fully run down. And so that's sort of when I started going down this path of changing my nutrition, but then fast forward to, um, maybe like a year later, uh, I was, I, I sort of retired from cycling. I was just done with it and, 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 uh, actually wanted to switch into trail running and wanted to do some, some big trail running and kind of getting into, into racing. And, um, pretty shortly after starting the training for that, I, was on a run and like felt this weird pain, like in my butt almost. And it wouldn't go away. It wouldn't go away. It was super weird. Got an MRI, ended up being a stress fracture in my pelvis. Um, and during that time, like got a bone scan and it was like super low, uh, b uh bone, bone mineral density. Right. And so that was, that was the first, and that was around the first time that I had heard about, um, at the time, this was this was probably 2014, 15. Um, I was in an exercise physiology course and lab in university, and and that there was a lecture um, from the professor talking about the female athlete triad. This was before Red S was really a, a thing, and and you know obviously that was very focused on um, female athlete health and you know the menstrual cycle and bone density, but. I was sitting there with my crutches, like you were, uh, like, this is kind of happening to me. Like, this is like the similar experience to, to what I've gone through, but it's not talked about in the male side, really. And it was, that was a little bit of a light bulb moment for me where I was like, okay, this is probably because of the years of under fueling that I was going through and just depleting my body. And, um, and that was a huge like a huge turning point for me into recognizing like, okay, this is something that is super important and that needs to be talked about more and that I want to play a role in like helping, you know, uh, move along. No, that's amazing. I mean, I think as well, because like you said, with girls, it's because, you know, when they say they fall into this bad phase, they almost lose their periods, whatever. But I've been speaking to um, specialists about it and what, how do like men, how, when do we actually know, like we almost have to push our bodies to get a stress fracture in order to see that there's something wrong with us because we're not constantly, yes, it's good to get blood tests like every few months and stuff, but we don't until then you don't like 
did you see any signs? Like the only thing you probably saw was maybe I found like my mental health was going down because I knew I was hungry, but I didn't know what else there was. Did you notice any other signs until you had this stress fracture? Yeah. I mean, I think just like the, you know, thinking back to that time uh, and I probably didn't really see it as much as I do now in hindsight, but just like getting sick very often, um, you know, and then of course that, that kind of like period where I was, I had walking pneumonia and I was super sick and anemic. And, um, and I think I saw a sports physician and they're like, yeah, well, you know, this is probably due to just being, you know, overtrained essentially. And so I, I always thought of like, it was always presented to me as like this overtraining thing. Like I was just training too much, too hard versus the underfueling, under recovery aspect. And so, but yeah, I think like the, the stress factor was obviously a big one, but I think just like the, uh, the, like the disconnect between how much I was training and how I was doing in the races was there's a big gap there because I was just not, I just couldn't handle the speed and the power of, of that level of racing. And, um, even though I was training so much, at, at least how I felt, but I just think I wasn't recovering from it because I wasn't eating enough to support it. Do you think it's almost like a blessing in disguise that you've been through all of this and you've come out of it as a stronger person? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I obviously sort of regret going through that and, and it's, it's a little bit tough for me to think back and be like, man, what, what could I have done if I wasn't in that place? But at the same time, like I also don't, I also think that I, I am a much, yeah, stronger and more balanced and like more, you know, mature athlete and human than I, than I could probably would have been had I just kept going down that path and having success. And I honestly enjoy sport and cycling and running and skiing and all these things that I do. And of course, working with athletes way more than I enjoyed racing and training at that time. I mean, for sure, there's some nostalgia around that period of my life, but I, I certainly feel much more balanced and just like positive and good and in my food choices and in my, you know, athletic, you know, kind of achievements and goals at this time. Now that's amazing to see. Cause like, I, I've been looking at your Instagram and it just see, like you see all your photos and I'm getting jealous of the places you've been to. And it looks like you're so happy as well. And that's the, mo that's the biggest thing. Cause you can't, basically live life unhappy and do you feel like if you almost kept going like say you got the stress fracture but if you were like on oh, no, a sort of it's just a stress fracture I want to keep going but didn't get any help do you think you're you would be like upset or in any way yeah I mean it's hard to say I think that you know I still I have a lot of friends that you know continued to you know race at a very high level a lot of people that I you know was training and racing with at, at that time you know I've gone on to ride in the Tour de France and you know oh. big yeah big big you know big level racers and and I think like you know it's 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 really cool to see that but um you know at the same time it's sort of like oh, that you know that was my dream right but I also I also really think that you know, I, 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 that wasn't the path for me ultimately. And I think it, whether it had been a stress fracture and the underfueling stuff or something else, I think I just wasn't destined for that, that path. And, and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard to say, but I, I definitely, I definitely miss that, that kind of lifestyle, but I also really enjoy 
enjoy the lifestyle that I, I have now. You know, I have a dog and a girlfriend and I'm able to do all these cool sports in the mountains and and not be training on the bike full full time year round. You know, I get to athletes. And I think that's such a gift and such a, I'm so grateful for that opportunity as well. Um, I think that, like you said, it's like the fact you must get like a massive like butterfly effect when you see like some of your athletes doing so well, competing so well. Do you just work with, is it just cyclists or do you work with other sports as well? Yeah, I work with all sorts of sports. I, I you know, kind of like my, you know, specialty is like mountain sports is what, as what I call it, which is kind of like, you know, these, these sort of outdoor sports that are focused on, you know, being in the mountains, whether it's, you know, uh, ski mountaineering, um, which I've gotten really into this year, um, or trail running. I've worked with climbers. I've worked with, you know, cyclists, mountain bikers, ultra endurance athletes. Um, so, but yeah, a lot of cyclists and, and a lot of people that are like me, right. That, want to not just be a single-minded athlete and maybe they aren't even competing maybe they're just wanting to feel better when they go out and ride with their with their friends on their their you know sunday group ride and they also want to go uh you know for a run in the week and and feel great and be able to just say yes to whatever their you know buddies are are scheming up and i think that's the type of athlete that i love working with the most most i think um a lot of you know the competitive athletes are really great and it's cool to help people, you know, achieve competitive goals. But, um, I just really light up when people have, you know, develop a, a totally different improved relationship with sport and are connecting the dots between food and nutrition. And that's why, you know, my coaching business is called in the flow, because I think there's this just really beautiful flow state that occurs when you sort of synchronize up the food and the eating and like, the philosophy around the mountains and the outdoors and the environment with the training and maybe, maybe the competition, but just the relationship to sport. And once all those things are kind of meshed together, you just tap into that state that we all are, you know, so like, so in love with and chasing as athletes. Uh, yeah. You might, you're making me jealous now where you live. <laughs> you look out here, it's like, it's starting to get a bit warmer, but there's no yeah. really nice mountains or anything around, but Bringing back to 2014-15, you mentioned that you were like with your professor just going through the female triad, whatever it was called, and Red S was just starting to come up. Did, was there enough awareness back then and did you get enough help? Do you believe like you were speaking to someone and they helped you enough or do you think you had to almost do it alone? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely sort of did it alone. Um, I think, you know, the there wasn't that i mean there definitely wasn't a lot of kind of resources available at that time um you know certainly there was there was research being done but it was very disconnected from what i was doing and you know i was just an undergraduate student um in boulder and i think um i i sort of yeah i sort of did it myself and i felt like you know, I just am a very obsessive person in a lot of ways. And I, I sort of just dove really deeply into the research and into studying it and sort of learning how to fuel myself and, you know, how to do it in, in the correct way. And so, I mean, I feel really lucky that I didn't feel like I needed a lot of help. I wasn't in a really super dark place. You know, I think it was just, it was a pretty short lived period of my life. Um, and it was it was fairly easy for me to come out of it and and sort of 
change the trajectory and and kind of uh, you know pivot towards a, a, a healthier life. Um, but if I was in a different place and I there was a lot of people I knew that were in a much darker place, I imagine it would have been really hard for them because there just wasn't a lot of resources available and 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 yeah, definitely like general kind of awareness about this wasn't wasn't out there. Um, but luckily that's changing now. Yeah, hundred percent. Have you haven't written a book, have you? No, but I it's yeah. it's on my list. Yeah, it has to be. The the way you're talking about this, you could bring up bring up everything. You could yeah. become a big time author now. Yeah, maybe. That's <laughs> yeah. No, I I I'm working on the the beginnings of a book. So really, um, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely something that I want to do, and um, I I just I mean that's a big part of me is like I just love sharing. I love. You know, I have my own podcast and I love making videos and doing, you know, things to just help educate and inspire other people and, and um, you know, be a resource because I think it it's so important to have people like you, people like me sharing our stories, but also just using our voices in our own unique way to um, continue to spread this message, continue to um, kind of be a resource for for other athletes. No, that's amazing. Bringing back because we have a few more few more questions for you because I'm <laughs> this is going very well but you mentioned about when you were going through like a bad stage about weighing would would you weigh yourself most days or say your coach was telling you to weigh yourself I know for runners and cy- cycling is predominantly like you're doing hours on the bike and everything and I have heard a lot of cyclists do weigh themselves quite constantly quite oftenly did you ever fall into that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was in college and during that time, I was weighing my, myself every day, hundred uh, percent. Yeah. And was it? Did you almost get like a sense of satisfaction if you were lighter the next day? Yeah, yeah. I I held a lot of power to those numbers, and it was uh, uh yeah, it was something that I spent probably too much time thinking about, worrying about, obsessing over, and trying as much as I could to to lower it. You know, and and that's that's again, coming back to that power to weight ratio is like so much of the, the emphasis was on that. And, um, instead of trying to focus on producing more power, essentially. Cause my, um, sister, she, she was vegan before for, for quite a while and everything. And I think she's now gone to vegetarian, but she's, she loves like the, the vegan foods out there. There's so much out there. The only thing I think she found quite tough cause she went a year abroad to South America and it was very tough mm. to find oh, yeah. vegan food out there. And that's essentially why she was like, she lost a bit of weight and everything, but she said, like, I almost can't do it out there. Um, What's it like in America? I know it's coming bigger in the UK. Is it quite expensive to find the foods or do you find it quite valuable? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, for sure, like the traveling piece and depending on where you are in the US, it can be really hard, you know, in, in sort of like smaller rural towns, it's, it's, it's difficult. And um you know, I did a, a 400 mile bikepacking race last summer and we're, was going through these crazy small towns around Idaho where I live and just eating at gas stations. And basically like all I could really find were like Oreos and Coke and, you know, just gas station food. Right. And it wasn't the best, but, you know, you can get by. And, and I certainly try not to be extremely dogmatic about it. If I'm traveling somewhere and there's nothing else to eat, I'll be flexible because I, you know, I don't want to be um, too rigid and, and you know, too kind of like, uh, you know, strict with how I live. And so 
Um, but for the most part, I've found it to be quite easy. Um, I really like to cook and I really like simple foods. And so that kind of lends itself well to, to veganism, but, um, yeah. And I think now, you know, even more so than even five years ago, there's an incredible selection of good options, whether it's like, you know, different kind of like fake meat products, you know, veggie burgers and sausages and and things that are fun to eat, but also just the access for, um, you know, good quality kind of staples. I mean, like rice, beans, potatoes, you know, legumes and, and, you know, greens and fruits and things. And that really should be the basis of your diet anyway, no matter if you're, you know, vegan or not. And so, um, I think it's, you know, where it gets tough is eating out and socially and especially traveling internationally. Um, but I've also spent a lot of time in Europe and in Thailand and all over the world. And it's like, you know, it's tough. It, it can be tough when you're traveling, but it also, I've also been really surprised by the availability and the options and like the awareness of what it means to be plant-based. No, I think you're, you're right. Like a few years ago, like I was speaking to my parents about it when they were young, they said there was literally nothing. And like, like you said, the veggie sausages, I had them for a meal last night, like last week or something. And honestly, they're brilliant. Like yeah. meat, meat every day, whatever. But I was like, I could, I could have this. Like it yeah. doesn't actually taste that different. And especially when you have it with like the carbs and everything, like who cares? At the end of the day, there's a lot of protein in those sausages. Right. The only thing finding like in the UK, especially it's, it's just a price difference. Like a lot yeah. of people are finding and it's, it's annoying because it is a, it's extremely healthy option. And the fact it's much more expensive, it's annoying because people who can't afford it, like people are just going to get fast food the whole time because it's so much cheaper and it's just, it's just annoying to see. And I wonder yeah. if it's like the same in America. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have obviously a, a lot of this, you know, same issues around, you know, fast food and obesity and things here as well as, you know, in the UK and it's, um, yeah, I mean, just the system, you know, subsidizes fast food, convenience foods, you know, ultra processed foods. And so whether you're vegan or not, it's it's just way cheaper to eat that way. And so it just incentivizes people to to kind of shift towards that direction. And, um, you know, even though like it's really easy to make good plant based food and to buy cheap staples like rice and potatoes and beans and things, um, it's just not as convenient. And so I think that's what a lot of these these companies are trying to do is develop these products that are really good. And it's just going to take more time for it to scale up, to be able to produce at that level, to try to be competitive with some of the other products that are available because yeah, right now it's just not affordable for everyone. And it's, you know, the price difference is huge, but it's still so early on in the time frame for, you know, these different products to, to be kind of in the market. And so my hope is that eventually it becomes more equal and that um, it, it sort of takes up a bigger space. But I mean, even just look at non-dairy milk. I mean, I think like that's been one that has been so amazing to see. Even 10 years ago, it was just almond milk. But now you go to the grocery store and it's like a huge entire case of all the different types and they're pretty similar price, you know. And so that's one where the market has shifted it and the demand for non-dairy milks has increased so much that the price has come down. And there's so many options. And I, I think that's going to continue happening with a lot of the other products available. Yeah, no, nah, uh, hopefully it does. Last question I have for you, because we don't have too much. I don't want to keep you on here for too much longer. But when you were saying you were getting into a better phase, you found this veganism and stuff. When 
I like five weeks ago, I said I hit rock bottom and the first week I followed a diet plan. Did you ever have like me phases where the first few days you were eating it because you're not used to eating as much as a diet plan or anything? Did you almost feel like, why am I doing this? Like question yourself because a lot of youngsters have actually messaged me like, I've said you get through the first two, three weeks, it's almost becomes a like just a normal regime almost. Which how how did you cope with that and how what were the strategies you used? Yeah, I mean, I think what really helped me was was seeing food as not just fuel, as not just this thing to be either giving me energy or like to be feared. And and that was a, a big part of that was the the kind of like the the connection between like the environment and animals and just like the the whole lifestyle around veganism that kind of like zoomed me out into the big picture so that I wasn't so focused on like food in the sense of like weight and numbers and you know anxiety around it and so I think it it really like took me out of my body and out of my head a little bit and just like I, I think I just had a different you know, a different perspective and different relationship to it. And it, and for sure it was hard. And I was like super self-conscious about it. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing forever. Um, I mean, my parents didn't even really know about all of this. And I, I was very like self-conscious and, and nervous about it all. And so it, it's, it's like any habit, you know, there were slip ups for sure. And like, it wasn't perfect, but I think, and, and even today, like I still have thoughts that come in around and weight and and you know eating too much and rest days and all you know all those things but I think I've just it's like any habit change where you just sort of know what you need to do and the fundamentals and do what you can to set yourself up for success and and really try to stick with it for a period of time so that it can kind of stick and and that's been super helpful for me but but also just you know taking a step back too from competition at the level that I was and just you know, trying to be less obsessive around sport also really helped me. No, that's amazing to you. I mean, you, you've nailed all these questions. Like, I mean, you're going to like people in the UK, they might not know you or whatever, but I think just from this podcast, it's just going to be so inspiring because I, like you said, I want to raise awareness and I feel like I'm trying to do that in the UK. And I really want to get into contact with you because Pippa said good things about you and the facts like Project Red S have said good things. So honestly, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. And I hope your coaching gets bigger and everything. You might have a few people from the UK meshing you saying, can we come to America or anything? But thank you very much for being on the podcast. I appreciate it, Jake. That's It's been such a great conversation. And thanks for all the work that you're doing and, and keep going. I think it's it's super inspiring. Oh, lovely talking to you.